You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Uh, last week, as we began our series through Galatians, we were introduced to the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the, to the churches in Galatia, which today is in, in the region uh, around south and central Turkey. That, that was called the province of Galatia by the Romans back then. And, and we learned as well that, that Paul had a personal attachment uh, to these people that he's writing to because he planted the churches there. He, he brought the gospel to them. And, and so now he's writing this letter because he's worried for them since they've been coerced into turning away from, from the message of, of the gospel of, of grace and, and freedom that's found through Jesus Christ that, that he brought to them. And, and they've, they've turned from that and they've gone back towards a, a legalistic lifestyle of, of works, righteousness, of religious duty. Right? So he's writing to them with, this, with a sense of urgency, and you can, and you can, um, you can feel it as, as you read Galatians. There's a sense of urgency, and he's, he's, he's trying to get them to heed his, his warning so that they'll stop going back down that road before any more damage is done and come back to the grace and freedom that is only available through faith in Jesus alone. So if you want to turn with me now to Galatians 1, we're going to be starting at verse 6 and going to verse 10. So Galatians 1. 6 to 10. So again, this is Paul to the Galatians. And he writes to them and says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but, but there are some of you, some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your love, your grace, which you've poured out on us through Jesus Christ, Lord. And as we, as we ponder that, as we, as we look into it, as we, as we discover it, Lord, I pray that you would write it on our hearts. Lord, we need you. We need you today. We need you always, Lord, and, and, and especially now as, as we're going through your word. And so I just, I just acknowledge your presence, and uh, just, we humbly come before you and, and ask for you to, to, to guide us and lift us up in your name. Lord, pray, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in my teenage years, I used to work at McDonald's. I worked at that McDonald's just down the street, Scenic and 3rd Ave. And um, I worked there for a couple years. In, in high school and one year after high school, when I saved money for university. Um, as near the end of my tenure there, as the more senior employee on, on the shift, I, I was, uh, one night I was left in charge of the assembly line table where we made the burgers. Um, and it was a slow evening, there was like hardly any orders happening, so there was only one other employee that was scheduled to help me. And he was in charge of, of cooking the meat and, and, and assisting me wherever I asked. 
I'll call him Joe. His name wasn't Joe. If there's a Joe here, I apologize. It's not. I'm not talking about you. Don't worry about it. Okay? Don't be offended. So I'll call him Joe. And Joe was one of those guys that was hard to work with. You know what I'm talking about, right? And not because he wasn't nice. Not because he didn't try really hard. He did, he did try really hard. But because he was so absent-minded. Um, I had dumb there, but I changed it because that would have been rude. Absent-minded. I, I mean, he... He meant well. He meant, he meant well. He usually tried to be helpful, but he usually just ended up making things more difficult. I'll give you an example. At one point during this shift that we were on together, Joe was off in the bathroom or something, and uh, so I was by myself back there, and an order popped up on the screen, and it said, it said this on the screen, 299-REG cheese. Did you put that up there? Did you get that? Oh, you didn't get that? Okay, whatever. I said two. You're probably like, what is that on there? So, yeah, exactly. So the order code was two, number two, and then the number 99, and then R-E-G, reg, cheese. Okay? So now since I'd been trained on how to read the monitor, I knew that the number two meant quantity. The 99 reg was a code for the type of buns. And the cheese meant that there's cheese on it. So I knew when I read it, pretty easy, it meant I had to make two cheeseburgers. Really simple, right? So I grabbed two sets of buns, slid them into the toaster, right? And then I remembered, oh, something I needed uh, was, was in the kitchen. So, so I walked over to the kitchen to grab it while the buns were in the toaster. And at that point, just as I had walked away, Joe came back. And from the kitchen, I heard him yell, wow, okay, I'll start, uh, I'll start grilling some more patties and then set up on the other table. And, and I was like, oh, whoa, okay. So based on his reaction, I thought maybe a huge order had popped up on the screen while I was in the kitchen. So, so I grabbed the thing I needed, and, and, and I, I had to clean it. So I had finished cleaning it really quick, and I, and I ran back. And, and I saw him. He had already stood cooking like uh, both grills worth of burgers, which is, which is about 36, I think. And, and he also had like started sliding a bunch of buns in the toaster on the other side of the table and, and he, with more ready to go. I mean, I mean, he was working with gusto and determination. I, I, I was really impressed. I was like, how did you do all that in 30 seconds? And, and so I thought again, well, it must be a big order. But then as I looked up at the screen, I found that the only order on it was the same one I had already started. Two cheeseburgers. And then, of course, at that point, I was no longer impressed. And I turned to Joe and I explained in exasperation, what are you doing? Right? And he answered, what do you you mean? I'm helping with the 99 burgers on that order. (laughs) And needless to say, I didn't respond very well. And neither did our manager when, when he came around the corner to see how much product was wasted that day from all Joe's quote-unquote hard work. In other words, he was working hard for no reason, and it actually made things worse, and it actually made things more difficult in the long run. And so I don't, I don't blame myself for being exasperated by him. And, and in a similar fashion of exasperation and bewilderment, Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia and basically saying to them in, in verses 6 and 7, he's saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? doing the the order's already been filled right jesus did it already you don't need to add to it you're just making it more difficult and you're actually making it worse in fact the work you're doing no matter how good it looks or how well you're doing it is actually only serving and rejecting the grace of god 
Verses 6 and 7, I'll read that again. He's saying, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who calls you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul's astonished. He's, he's exasperated. He's upset. He's saying, what are you doing? And, and, and rightly so, I think, right? He came to them preaching the good news of, uh, that salvation is found in Jesus alone. But that, that, that forgiveness of sins, access to God, a life of freedom is available through trusting in him. So, so it's, it's, it's probably heartbreaking for Paul to see them turn back onto placing their hope and faith in their performance, to see them placing the burden of their righteousness back onto themselves when it's completely unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary. When the, again, the order's already been filled. It's, it's finished. It was finished at the cross. And as we'll find throughout this series, Paul spends a good portion of, of his letter on this subject because it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's not unlike Moses, who, who was hanging out on uh, Mount Sinai right after uh, God had saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, right? And, and so, so Moses went up the mountain to, to hang out with God, only to be informed by God that he should go back down to them because, because the Israelites had already started worshiping a false idol that they'd created themselves, right? So Moses, he, he comes down and, and is astonished and furious that they turn, that they so quickly turn from the God who saved them. And this is, in a nutshell, what, what, what Paul's saying here. This is what the Galatians were doing. They'd been freed from God, from slavery to sin, from, from the curse of the law through Jesus, but now they've reverted back. And as I mentioned last week, the, the main reason for this switch is that they'd been tricked or, or coerced by some false teachers into believing that Jesus alone wasn't enough. False teachers that Paul writes have, have come to cause trouble and, and distort the true gospel. So we have to ask, who, who are these troublemakers and, and what's their motivation? Well, Acts 15, verse 1 and verse 5 uh, tells us who they are. So let's go, go there. Acts 15, verse 1 and verse 5, it says, But some men came down from Judea, and we're teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is what they're saying. And then verse 5, again, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So circumcision, of course, is an Old Testament custom that outwardly signified one's covenant with God. It was a practice of all Jewish men, along with keeping the law of Moses that God had given them in the desert. So this is why these troublemakers have historically been dubbed the Judaizers. That's what people call them. Because while these particular uh, Jewish Christians may have claimed or agreed that Jesus saves, they also believed and taught that in order to receive this salvation and, and for one to properly live out that salvation, one must first become like and live like a Jew. So that's why they call them Judaizers. Uh, Scott McKnight writes, It was Gentile inclusion into justification by faith in Christ apart from the law that was the bone of contention between Paul and the Jerusalem Judaizers. Justification in Christ was acceptable to the Judaizers. After all, they claimed to be Christians. Justification for Gentiles was tolerable as well. 
but it was justification before God without obedience to the law of Moses that became intolerable. So in other words, dissension and disagreement uh, between these former Pharisees, uh, one of the, my commentators calls them recovering Pharisees, uh, these Judaizers, and, and between Paul, was, the disagreement between them was, was whether or not one had to become like a Jew in order to be a true Christian. Paul's argument is that the gospel tells us that Jew and Gentile alike are saved through Christ alone and that, and that we live it out in the power of the Spirit. We don't have to change. We just have to believe in Jesus, right? But again, these Judaizers are basically claiming that Jesus isn't enough to save us, that his Spirit isn't enough to sustain us. And, and what's going on is they fail to realize or grasp that Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice, had fulfilled the law and accomplished what following the law couldn't. And this is subject matter that we're going to be addressing later on in the letter in more detail in coming weeks. But in a nutshell, their message was that in, in order for Jews to be Christians, for Jews to be Christians, they had to keep living like Jews following the law of Moses. And in the same vein, in order for Gentiles to be Christians, they had to outwardly look like Jews and live like Jews as well. So in other words, this, this, we have to realize this wasn't just a theological debate that's going on here. This was also a racial, social debate debate as well. As Scott McKnight again writes, Paul was also opposed to what we now call cultural imperialism, the view that one culture is superior to another, and this cultural imperialism had become enmeshed in a religious system. So Acts 15 details this debate fully, and I encourage you to read it. But during the debate that's going on, Peter stands up and and he agrees with Paul on this matter. But obviously there were some who still refused to accept it, right? Accept the good news that the gospel is for for everyone, for Jew and Gentile alike. And ironically enough, it seems, we can infer from from the text, it seems as though one of the ways these Judaizers were able to convince the Galatians that, that Paul's message was wrong was by telling them that Paul was a people pleaser. Telling them, they're like, Paul's, Paul's just trying to, trying to please you, right? That, that he, he'd say anything. He'd even water down the gospel so that people will, will like him and, and listen to him. Like he's too afraid of, of man to, to tell them that they have to be circumcised. Which is why Paul says in, in verse 10, in response to that accusation, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And this is where we get to the heart of the issue. Where or from whom do we seek approval and acceptance? Because we all do, right? We, we, we all desire and seek affirmation and acceptance. We always look to someone or, or something to, to, to pat our self-worth or our self-esteem or, or to feel wanted or important or, or cherished or loved. So in that regard, where, where do we look for that? Who's, whose opinion are we truly concerned with in regards to that? God's or people? God's or people? 
Because Paul tells us in, in, in his own defense on the matter that if we're concerned with pleasing man, if that's our concern, then, then we can't be a servant of Christ. Jesus expressed this very idea to his disciples as well when, when he tells them that they'll be persecuted on account of his name. We can't please everyone as we follow and proclaim Jesus. We're supposed to love everyone, and people matter, absolutely. But we can't please everyone. Mostly because many will be offended by the gospel message that the only way to be saved as sinners is through faith in Jesus. And it's, and it's ironic then that, that it's these Judaizers who accuse Paul of being a people pleaser when they're the ones who are so concerned with how we look and how we act. Paul, on the other hand, he, he reminds the Galatians that these false teachers are, are under a curse. Right? And just in case they weren't offended the first time, he says it twice. If he really cared about other people's opinions, he probably wouldn't have said, let them be accursed. But he did. And, and, and I want to be clear that Paul's not cursing them specifically. He's referring to the fact that those that choose the law over, over Jesus are still under the curse of the law. And Paul talks about that later in the letter as well. But still, that would definitely offend them. You know, if they're preaching a different gospel, let them be accursed. And again, I say, if they're preaching a different gospel, let them be accursed. And I'm, I'm not saying that we should follow Paul's lead and start offending people for, for the sake of it, as if, as if people not being pleased with us is a badge of faith, because it's not. We need to, we need to recognize that. But it, it can be a natural side effect of living for Christ. And the point that Paul's making here is that he's not interested in, in watering down the gospel message or adding to the gospel message, for that matter, just so that people will like him. He's not interested in, in, in mincing his words so that people will think he's nice. Rather, he's saying his message is unadulterated truth because the only approval that he cares about is God's. And you can tell his identity is, is rooted firmly in Christ. Because he doesn't dwell on what others think of him. He knows what Jesus thinks of him. He doesn't need approval or status from anyone else. Because he knows that he has it from God. And that's why he's so effective in his ministry. That's why his message never wavers. And this is freedom. This is freedom. He's not bound or held back by a fear of man that so many of us often are. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. Right? If, we're, if, we're, if we are looking for our approval or, or self-worth in people, what we're doing is we're placing ourselves in a form of, of slavery to the opinions of others. And this, and this fear of man, this, 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 this need to find approval in others, this concern with what others think of us, it, it can take root in, in many different forms. And, and, I, and I'm sure if we examine ourselves honestly, as, as, as I talk about a few of them, we can, we can probably relate to at least, at least one of them, maybe two of them, maybe all of them in our lives. So this fear of man, first of all, it can definitely take root in, in a form of Phariseeism. So 
which is basically doing, doing religious works and, 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 you know, praying aloud in public and, and looking good in front of everyone so that everyone will be impressed with us. Basically the same thing that the Judaizers were peddling as true Christianity. Warren Wiersbe writes, Paul was not a politician. He was an ambassador. His task was not to play politics, but to proclaim a message. These Judaizers, on the other hand, were cowardly compromisers who mixed the law and grace, hoping to please both Jews and Gentiles, but never asking whether they were pleasing God. So the, the Judaizers have come into, into these communities and are telling them, this is, this is how you get affirmation. Uh, this is how you fit in as a Christian. This is how you get God to love you. You need to, you need to look like us. You need to eat like us. And you need to live like us. We need to be impressed with you, basically, right? And that's an easy thing to be tricked into in a lot of ways because I think as, as, as humans, it's a lot easier to have a checklist of rules and items that, that we can cross off each day and compare with one another and then hold up to God and say, see, I did it, be proud of me, bless me, right? But at the heart of that kind of checklist or a works-based system really is a longing or, or, or need for, for approval from man. In that kind of system, we're, we're seeking our recognition and self-worth through, through performance, through how others see us and, and, and affirm us and applaud us in our religion. And then we use that as a measuring stick for, for how God must see us. But like Jesus often pointed out about the Pharisees and to the Pharisees during his ministry, seeking the approval of men through our, our religious works and self-righteousness is really just seeking to, to pat our pride and our ego. And it doesn't impress God. God cares about where our heart is at. But again, that need to, to, to pat our pride, that desire for people to see us and be impressed with us, is certainly a snare. It's a form of slavery, really, that, that we submit ourselves to, because if we're always looking to impress people, or even impress God, with our good works and religious actions, we'll, we'll never feel satisfied. We'll, we'll, the ego will never be full. We'll never be finished seeking or looking for approval. And in the same vein, this type of fear of man can also be found in those who are known as people pleasers. Author and uh, psychotherapist Amy Moran writes, Over the years I've seen countless people pleasers in my therapy office. But more often than not, people-pleasing wasn't, wasn't really their problem. Their desire to make others happy was merely a symptom of a deeper issue. For many, the eagerness to please stems from self, self-worth issues. They hope that saying yes to everything asked of them will help them feel accepted and liked. So these types of people are, are kind of the opposite spectrum of the Pharisees. They're not looking to, to stroke their egos, but rather they're, they're seeking to make everyone else happy in the hopes that in making everyone else happy that they'll be liked. So they're looking for self-worth and affirmation from their, from their spouse or, or co-workers or their boss or their pastor or, or their friends by doing a bunch of things for them. One of the main issues with people pleasers is that they'll they'll end up saying anything or, or, or being anyone or 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 often doing anything, whether or not it's healthy or in line with their convictions, just to please others, which is why they're often taken advantage of. 
You know, these are the type of people that can't say no to anyone, right? But in the same vein as those that are in trying to impress with their religious works, these people-pleaser types are also placing their self-worth and identity on what others think of them. In, in their desire for self-worth, they've become slaves to the whims and desires of others. And I know a lot of us here can probably relate to that. And finally, another form of fear of men can be found in those of us who are so concerned with what others think that it prevents us from doing anything at all. Right? We, we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to look out of place. We don't want to offend. So we don't take risks. We don't speak up. We just, we just don't move at all. And again, obviously, this is, this is also a snare. For example, say you desperately need prayer or, needs, or need someone's help, but you don't walk over to the prayer team in the back or you don't let anyone know you need help because, because you don't want to look, look, look stupid or look like less of a Christian or, or be judged by anyone. So you just stay in your seat and don't do anything. Or another example, say, say you really want to sing out in worship. And sing as loud as possible because you, you, you just want to rejoice. Maybe even dance. Anyone? No? Okay. But you don't. Because, oh, well, what will others think? What will others think? If the opinions of others are what controls us or keeps us from doing anything... We'll be handcuffed and kept from truly living boldly for Christ or becoming who God's called us to be. And worse than that, we'll most likely end up compromising who God's called us to be. Warren Wiersbe again writes, The servant of God is constantly tempted to compromise in order to attract and please men. How many of us, in an attempt not to, not to offend anyone, have compromised our beliefs? Or, or, or done something out of character, or even, or even served in the church just, just to impress or to look good? How many times have we watered down the gospel or, or downplayed our faith in front of our co-workers so that we don't look like stupid Jesus freaks? Well, in the words of DC Talk, I don't really care what people think, or if they find that it's true. Paul says it better in Romans 1.16, when he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, so Paul understood the power of the gospel. And so the approval or disapproval of men did not and rather could not move him from pro proclaiming it to all who would listen. His desire to please God above all else and not man gave him the, the ability to preach and proclaim an unadulterated truth and live it out with integrity. How many of us can say that? And it's difficult, for sure. In this, in this day and age, when everyone seems to be so easily offended, I'd say that it's probably harder than ever to stand firm in our faith and to not give in to the, to the pressure to, to please everyone. 
It's especially tempting to, to twist scripture, right? To, to change who we are to fit in with the world or to, to condone sinful lifestyles of others or all because we don't want to offend or look out of place or, or, or because we want to look nice and, and, and loving or because we don't want people to hate us. This, this is the fear of man. It's, it's a snare. It's, it's slavery. Rather, as Paul demonstrates and as Psalm 118 verse 8 declares which one of the elders brought up in our elders meeting yesterday. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Finding our our self-worth, our identity and our acceptance in a God who never wavers and loves us unconditionally is much better than looking for it in the fickle eyes of man. To place our self-worth in God's opinion of us through Christ is true freedom. That's freedom. Freedom that allows us to proclaim his name without reservation. To be transparent with others. To worship fully. And to love one another deeply. Not, not motivated by a need to be liked and for that love to be reciprocated, but from a place of knowing we're already loved. But if what, what will people think? If, if that's our worry, if that's our motivator, we're, on, we're, on, we're going to be on shaky ground. We're going to be easily swayed. That's, that's a road to depression. And we're going to be easily influenced to turn from God, like the Galatians were. So in regards to, in regards to today's passage, this is the question that, that, that I think we need to respond to. In our, in our own lives, where do we look for identity? Where do we look for acceptance and self-worth? In our works? In pleasing others? In what we look like to others? Because again, at the, at the root of our desire to please people, if that's, if that's where we're at, is, is a cry and a longing for approval and self-worth. So, so where, do we, where do we look for it or try to find it? According to the Judaizers, their, their own approval along with God's acceptance and approval of us, is, is mostly based on what we do and what we look like. According to Paul, though, true acceptance and approval from God comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. In fact, covered in the righteousness of Jesus, God finds such pleasure in us that he even takes the initiative to, to reside in our lives. This, this is unfathomable and, and unmerited grace. And this is why Paul is so adamant about the gospel of Christ. He knows that pleasing people is, is a dead end, a form of slavery, a snare. But pleasing God through faith in Jesus Christ has an everlasting legacy. He knows that true freedom is found in knowing and living in the reality that God is already pleased with us. God already accepts us through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. So it's Jesus alone that breaks us free from from the bondage of trying to find our self-worth and identity in the opinions of others. And everyone is invited to experience and know this free gift of freedom. The cross invites each and every one of us, Jew or Gentile, to be rescued from the chains of our fear of man and to find our identity, our self-worth, fully and completely in the loving arms of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us, 
that you pursue us, that, that you love us unconditionally, that no one is too far gone to receive your grace because Jesus already paid the, paid the price at the cross. Lord, I pray that this morning for each and every person here that we would, we would learn in, in a greater way what, what it means to live in, in the reality of knowing that we are accepted, we are, we are fully and deeply loved, that we are cherished by you. And that that's true freedom. Lord, I pray that those of us who struggle with, with fear of man and what others what other people think of us, and if that's, that's keeping us from being who we're truly called to be, I pray that you would, you would rescue them from that. Jesus, break those chains this morning so that as a church that we're not held back by the opinions of others, Lord, but we, but we can move forward because of knowing uh, that, that you love us. Jesus, I thank you so much for, for the grace that you've poured out on us. We thank you so much for the cross, that, that, it, that it changes us, that it saves us from the, from the burden of sin. I thank you for that freedom, Lord. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. During, uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he, he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him and a voice from heaven declared, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Of course, that was God the Father talking about Jesus. And uh, the amazing thing about grace is that as, as we look to Jesus, as we believe in him, we're covered in his righteousness. As we're covered in his righteousness, God declares the same thing over each of us. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. So as we take communion, as we remember Jesus' body that was broken for us, symbolized by the cracker there, and we, and we remember Jesus' blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, which is symbolized by the cup. Keep that in mind, that, that as we're covered in, in Jesus' righteousness, God is declaring over you, this, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. So, so as you receive communion, you can, we can take it on our own this morning. Just, just keep that in mind and, and, and just thank him for that and, and cherish that in your hearts. Receive that. Just surrender to that freedom that is only found in Christ alone. So when you are ready, you can come and, and grab the elements and take them to your seats and, and receive them.